Well, this afternoon, uh, being first Sunday of uh, the month of July, and basically the first Sunday of a month, uh, we'll be in our first Sunday Psalm series. Uh, today we're in Psalm 37. We'll be looking at Psalm 37 uh, several different times over the next uh, couple of months. It's a rather lengthy psalm, and I couldn't figure out a way to um, preach the entire psalm in a single message and not keep us here until Monday. But let us hear from the uh, Psalm 37, the enti- uh, read the entirety of the psalm for today. Of David, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green, her- green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds his righteousness. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance but the wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. 
you will look on when you, the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. But I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressions, transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we have just heard your holy uh, word that is from your hand. Though through, the, though through the writing of your servant David, it is ultimately from your hand. And help us to receive what we have read, not as simply the words of a man, but as your words, your voice, your truth. Help us, O Father, to receive it, to believe it. We pray, O Father, that your spirit would rest upon us, that we might, by your spirit, receive your word. We pray you might strengthen and increase our faith. We ask that you do the work in each of us according to your purposes. And may you guide the preacher, chain him to the the truth that is your word, that he might freely declare your truth. Help him to be clear and accurate and understandable. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been walking through the Psalter, the last few Psalms that we've looked at, We've seen uh, them from the from the pen of David, of course, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seeing cries of lament, yet moments of hope in light of different suffering and persecution at the hands of wicked men. Most likely those who uh, most likely based upon the circumstances that are named in those Psalms, when David was on the run from Saul and his allies in which he took Uh, shelter in one of the Psalms with Abimelech uh, and David in order to protect himself pretended to be a madman. And that was the description of it at the inscription. And now we turn to Psalm 37 and but we've also seen in those previous Psalms how all of this points us to Christ, how Christ being the greater David uh, did far greater for us. And now we have a Psalm in Psalm 37 that when we read it, sounds a lot like a chapter out of Proverbs or other wisdom books with basically what sounds like a collection of truisms, a collection of sayings, number of different commentaries that I read in preparation for this message. One of them in particular said, I will not even attempt to lay out a structure for this psalm because I cannot find one that I cannot find a singular structure that uh, is bulletproof, essentially, is what he said. But unlike Proverbs, in this particular psalm, there is a constant theme, uh, a constant theme all the way throughout this psalm. We can read a chapter of Proverbs and we can see a whole bunch of different themes being covered uh, throughout a particular proverb. We saw that in Proverbs 28 today. Um, all sorts of different wisdom sayings, truisms with regards to the things that are being said. But we have a constant theme that runs all the way throughout, and it's a word that's repeated several times, and that has something to do with fretting. 
fret not, or don't fret, or don't worry. And of course, building upon that, and don't worry for that worry, that fretting leads to anger and leads to wrath. And, and building upon that, he reminds the basis that the, the things about which uh, David might be tempted to fret are under God's providence and his control. And that those wicked who are chasing him, who are seeking to destroy him, shall not in the end win the day. And thus he says, trust the Lord. For David is speaking to himself, most likely, inasmuch as he is speaking to anyone else who would be reading this psalm that he penned. Uh, Consider even our Lord Jesus Christ being put upon the cross, seeing the people, uh, the soldiers, for instance, taking his garments and mocking him and casting lots for those garments and seeing the wickedness. Uh, Did Jesus fret? No, we're going to get to this a little bit later. But did he fret? No. In fact, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he made atonement for our sin. The thing about which the reader is told not to fret is not so much a thing as it is a who. Reference several times are evildoers or the wicked or the things that they gain or the things that they do or the dangers that they pose. Appearances, as far as conventional wisdom might say, would suggest that the wicked are on top. The psalmist says, not so. Rather, the godly should wait patiently. Trumper Longman says that. He says, while appearances suggest that the wicked are on top, the godly should wait patiently since the success of the wicked will not last and reward will eventually come to those who put their trust in God. Another central idea to this psalm is this idea of the land. Israel was in a unique covenant that no other nation, past, present, or future, has or ever will have. There is still yet relevance to us. We look around the world and we can actually see that that is the case. There's all sorts of evil around the world. And if we really think about it, there's even evil in our own hearts and in our own minds. We can see that in life, it often appears that evil has the upper hand. That sin has the upper hand. That those with devious purposes are on top. And the great temptation for the one who loves truth is to turn that appearance and turn it into fretting. To worry, anxiousness, which our psalmist says later, leads to anger, leads to wrath. But he says, fret not because of evildoers. With a crescendo, that is, it's a musical term. And a crescendo is something when music kind of quiet, then then it gradually gets louder. That's a crescendo. And with a crescendo of exhortations that climaxes in verse 7 with be still before the Lord. And as well as repeating the command to not fret. Again with an exhortation in verse 8. So today we'll be looking through verse 9. 
in 8, 8 through 9, which seems to be a suitable breaking point. And the editors of the uh, Psalms and our own hymnal and the responsive reading saw that as a suitable breaking, breaking point, um, as a point to um, move to where another idea in the theme seems to, seems to move. But first of all, we'll look at verses 1 through 7. In verses 1 through 7, that the climax of it is, Be still before the Lord. But building up to that, before he gets there, is he tells us in verse 1, immediately, Fret not yourselves, yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious because of wrongdoers. Consider David in his own circumstance, being chased by Saul, being chased by his allies, seeking his destruction, all because he did his job too well. And Saul, in his insecurity about his place, decided David had to go, which, of course, Saul was going to go. God had already decreed that through Samuel, and David had been secretly anointed to be the next king. Or consider him when his own son, Absalom, betrayed him and sought to depose him and drove him out of Jerusalem. And he says of the wickedness around him, of that wickedness, he says, don't fret. But also with regards to the wickedness that is around, he seems to be speaking at least in terms of the life of the nation of Israel, there being uh, wickedness around in the land, dominating the land of the, co- of the covenant nation of Israel. And we see a number of different types of those wickedness that are mentioned throughout this psalm. We can see that they plot against the righteous. That they seek to slay those whose way is upright. Seek to undo good. We see in verse 14 that they use their power and might uh, to put down the poor and the needy, that is the weak and the vulnerable. And remember when we looked at the sixth commandment in our series on the Ten Commandments, murderous impulses are not simply committing the act, but they are both seeking harm towards somebody as well as when we have the ability not coming to aid. For the sixth commandment is one which says we must value life positively and negatively. That is to protect, to not, to not take life and positively to protect life. All life. All human life. We also see that there's greed, verses 16 and 21a and 21b by contrast. 16, he says, their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bow shall be, uh, that was 15. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the many wicked. Uh, the wicked borrows, but does not, not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. We see the greed. People seeking to hoard things unto themselves. And of course, all surrounding him is idolatry. David, frequently seeing Israel, the nation in covenant with God, being overrun with evil. As we mentioned earlier, Saul, even his own son, did so. 
we in our own time and place, we can even see churches over and over again giving into various sorts of vices and evil, often in subtle ways, that then lead to no longer being a church. Any one-to-one co-relationship between Israel and today would be in terms of the life of the church. But we can also look at terms of evil that we see all around us. Because, you know, the United States is not, not modern-day Israel. It's not in a covenant that like Israel was in. But there's all sorts of wickedness all around us. All manners of sexual perversion. There's also a lust for violence. Or those who would despise sexual perversion say, well, violence, it's not as bad as that, so let's be okay with violence. Or those appearing righteous who, in fretting about the wicked, turn to wicked impulses to deal with the wickedness that they see around them. Murderous impulses, even if falling short of the actual act. Or in so focusing on one specific type of evil, give a pass to or even justify in engaging other kinds of evil. Well, it's not as bad as that. In reality, what we have in Psalm 37 is a taste of realism. One of the temptations for the people who love truth is to look at the world and all of its difficulty, all of its sin and all of its wickedness and refuse to acknowledge that's the way it is and try to live in the world in the way we would like it to be rather than the way that it actually is. And this psalm is a dose of realism. There's a real world in which we live. We must live in and with that world and not the way we think it should be. And in this life, it is not going to change. It's not going to change. Things will ebb and flow throughout history. Things sometimes will be better. Things sometimes will be worse. But it will always be present. We often look at our own history of our here being in our in our particular society, look at our own society's history and long for a day when there was a righteous age of news for you. There never was a righteous age in the history of any human country. There never was. There have always been societal evils running through every country, including our, our own, that would make the prophets howl. There may be things today that society says that are good that we go, no, that's not good. When a hundred years ago, while those things were considered not good, society said, but these evil things are good. That's always been the case, my brothers and sisters. Whether it be denying the image of God in people, Bending the bow, crushing the poor and needy, or as I mentioned ago, all sorts of sexual perversions. In that note, I have a little note, and I've said this before, but there is no such thing as a Christian country unless it's the church of Jesus Christ about which we're talking. 
for a Christian to be a, for a country to be a, a Christian country, it would have to open up its charter with this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only son, begotten of the Father, begotten, not made, and in the Holy Spirit. But going on, what is it to fret? What is it to fret? This is a word when I was younger, I heard, and I thought, what in the world is that? Now, I play guitar, and guitars have frets. Does it have something to do with guitar playing? Frets, are, for those of you who don't know, frets are those things that guitarists put their fingers on up here. Those are called the frets. No, to fret is to worry, is to hand ring. Consider someone sitting, sitting around hand wringing because they're nervous, they're scared, they're worried about something. In fact, sometimes we just need to turn on our favorite evening cable news network and look at a talking head and see someone who, if he's not fretting, is trying to get people to fret. Because, by the way, that stuff sells. There are a lot of peddlers of that. And my brothers and sisters, there are Christians everywhere, probably, in fact, I would venture to say ourselves included, because I find myself doing so, running around afraid of our own shadow at times. running around scared and living life in fear that we might interact with the greed, the violence, or the sexual immorality. Sometimes maybe even packing up and moving to avoid the perceived evil when that evil is present in the, no, in the new supposed utopia, but in a much more devious, and for the one who loves truth, a much more dangerous form. found in the form of worry and anxiety we look at the evil around us and we go oh no everything's lost what shall we do that my friends is fretting that my brothers and sisters is the worry furthermore does he and we're going to return to that idea because the psalmist returns to it but furthermore he also says don't be envious of their apparent success Oh, how often are we green with envy when someone that we don't think deserves to get something that we think we should have gets that thing? And we turn green with envy and go, that should have been me. Or that used to be us. But no, we are called upon in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. To think of it in different terms. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Right before that, he urged those who were wealthy and who had power and influence 
to not hoard that unto themselves, but to rather use their money, their power, their influence to benefit the weaker and more vulnerable members of God's church. The quest for influence, the quest for riches, the quest for power is a fool's errand. Not that if one attains riches, they are in an evil state. Or that if one attains power, it is itself evil. But such things, as he says, the love of such things will lead to all kinds of evil. You see, the psalmist, as we see in a moment in verse 8, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. He's urging the reader that if you turn to fret, you are going to turn to the very things about which you are fretting. In fact, a reason is given in, in uh, verse one, verse one about be and be not envious about wrongdoers. They will soon fade like grass and wither like an herb out of season. That is, he's saying judgment will come. In this age, there will be measures of justice that occur, but for the most part, people get away with evil. People get away with evil in this age. But God in Christ has the final say. A few weeks ago, our guest preacher, he said, let them do so, for God shall judge. The next exhortation that he gives is to trust in the Lord and to do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. It's twofold. First of all, he says, trust in the Lord. This is the basis of Christian life is trusting in the Lord, trusting his goodness, trusting his kindness, trusting his care, trusting his work. To trust in the Lord is the first element of not fretting and living in fear, worry and anxiety because of things. We read some things along those lines earlier today in the 28th proverb, the collection of proverbs known as the 28th chapter. And I thought those should have made it into my sermon and I was briefly looking for them. I couldn't find them quick enough so they didn't make it to my sermon. But we saw language very similar to that in the proverb that we, proverbs that we read today. To trust in the Lord is the first element of not fretting and living in fear, worry, and anxiety because of things. That is, the Lord, His goodness, His salvation, His Christ whom He sent for us needs to be bigger than all these things. There was a book written by Dr. Phillips written to Christians who fretting about things personal and things greater than personal. The title of the book was this, Your God is Too Small. Now, he's not addressing as an outsider. He's addressing, addressing as an insider, saying that when we find ourselves all fretting, concerned about all this stuff, God has become too small for us. God's saving power, God's righteousness, God's goodness to us has become too small. 
And to remember his goodness is to remember what he's done for us in Christ. For David to remember his covenant promises. To remember that God has said things and God has done things. And that he's promised to bring about a salvation. Remember we read in Hebrews. He, they, these endured even though they did not receive in their life the thing promised. That is the Christ who has been promised since the garden. He had not come in time and space, yet by him they are saved. Though they did not see him, he was still but promise. But now promise has come, how much more so for us. Remember the fulfillment of promise. Some of our fretting may be caused by the fact that we feel like we're out of control. And we are. Part of our design, or not our design, part of our, uh, our makeup as fallen human beings is we are all a bunch of control freaks. There's a very powerful drug we're all addicted to. It's called the illusion of control. And we will go to great lengths to preserve the illusion that we're in control. Come up with fantastical ideas. When in reality, we're not in control. But there is someone who is in control. And it's not some mastermind, evil mastermind or an evil cabal of masterminds. But the one who's in control is God. God is the one who is in control. He's always in control. Has he redeemed us in Christ Jesus? Yes. Has he not kept promise? He has kept promise. Will he keep promise? Yes. Has he not dealt with our own wickedness? Consider Jesus looking around him at the wickedness all around him. Not fretting. And the wickedness he's looking at, we want to say, yeah, he was looking at their wickedness. And choosing not to fret. No, he was looking at our wickedness. And not fretting. Furthermore, the second uh, fold of that, twofold, I said, is do good. Instead of fretting about evil, do that which is good. We can spend our time fretting about evil or we can do that which God has called us to. We can follow the, the, the age-old wisdom from uh, the uh, 19th century hymn, Trust and Obey. Trust the Lord and from that trust continue obeying what He has said. To be about His business. The picture of Christian life is one of who, who plods along, putting one foot in front of the other, walking forward. Consider a farmer. I like describing it this way. Consider a farmer, an old school farmer with a single, with a single row um, plow being pulled by a horse or a donkey. And he's just pl- plowing that row. And all around him is all sorts of stuff going on. The temptation for him could be to worry about those things and say, I'm going to go over there, I'm going to go over there, I'm going to go over there. 
How often are we like chickens with our heads cut off when we do that? The Christian life is that farmer just plowing along, finishing that row, doing the things that we have been told. Doesn't mean sometimes it's not complicated. Doesn't mean sometimes it's not difficult. Doesn't mean that sometimes we are presented with apparent dilemmas. Someone asked me once if we should change our living if we lived under heavy persecution. Same person also asked me if my preaching would change. I said, well, I know what I would desire in terms of my preaching. I said, when the rubber, if, if and when the rubber hits the road, we'll have to see if my desire is true, if, if I hold to my desire. But my desire is this, that not one ounce of, the tip of what I typically preach would change. Because God has given his eternal word and that word does not change with circumstances. Nor should our living change. We may have to do things differently, maybe do some things in secret like the early church did. Furthermore, to do good is to seek the good of those who, even those who may be seeking our own destruction. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. One of the greatest blessings that we can do for those who may be seeking our destruction is to seek their redemption. To seek their redemption. There may be those whom we look at and say, hmm, kind of rather not have to call them brother or sister in Christ. But we ought to seek their redemption. Charles Spurgeon says this, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap over to hell over... Restart. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. And to seek the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And to live lives of gratitude in light of his unchanging law. His law has not changed. It's the third use of the law. The first use, of course, is the uh, is the way that uh, God uses his law as a mirror to show us how sinful we are to uh, point us to Jesus Christ. And our need of a savior, the second use of the law is the law as it's been written upon the hearts of man, uh, written on our consciences and throughout the world. People know what's right and wrong, even though even imperfectly. And thus society doesn't fall. Society doesn't absolutely crumble and fall apart and delve into absolute, complete destruction. And the third use of the law is the law. For the Christian that says you've been made alive, now follow my law as a matter of thankfulness. But again, in so doing, it turns us back to that first use, use too, because we still see how far we fall short and are drawn to Christ. And we must seek to live according to that law. 
When we say that law is not the gospel, we're not saying the law is bad. We're saying that the law is not the gospel and the gospel is not law. Gospel is this has been this has been done. The laws do this. To live lives of gratitude in light of his unchanging law, to dwell in the land of faithfulness. We are citizens of his kingdom. By faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not referring to a piece of land upon which we're standing right now. Rather, even those who came before in ancient Israel, Hebrews tells us they weren't ultimately looking for a piece of land on this earth. They were looking for the heavenly city, the true citizenship. And we are citizens of that, of that city. So let us live according to that city. Life in the church, unite ourselves to one another and not be lone rangers. Seek to be true to that land to which we truly belong. He also tells us, delight yourself in the Lord. See, he's told us something not to do. Now, starting in verse 3, he's been telling us what to do. Instead of fretting, trust in the Lord, do good, and delight yourself in the Lord. Instead of caving into fear, into fret and anger, he says, delight in something. Delight in the Lord. Delight in him. Again, he must be big to us. What is our joy? What is our hope? What is our peace? What is our comfort? If our comfort and our joy and our peace is built upon things that fade, we are bound to be disappointed and disillusioned. There are many good things that God has given us. He's given us family. He's given us, fa- he's given us spouses. He's given us children. He's given us friends. And while we must be true in our marriage and be faithful, to, faithful as parents to children, if we're our parents, faithful as friends to our friends and them to us, at any given moment, God could take them away. At any given moment. And what does he say? Delight yourself in the Lord. The Heidelberg Catechism says, what is your only comfort in life and death? It says that I am am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That truth, my brothers and sisters, let's delight in that truth. Delight in that. We belong not to ourselves. Kind of goes contrary to maybe some things we've been taught that each man belongs to himself. Praise the Lord, I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus Christ. 
and delight in his person, delight in his character, delight in his word, delight in his house, his church, his worship, and that which he is blessed and which is blessed and from him. Philippians chapter 4 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. That's what we set our minds, brothers and sisters, in so doing, delight ourselves in the Lord. And again, he returns. He then tells us to commit our way to the Lord. What is it to commit ourselves to something? But to submit all of our ways and our dealings to God's word and law. As a church, God's word and law never changes. And we must always submit ourselves in our life and our worship to what God has revealed. We don't get to... We, we don't get to be innovative in the sense that we don't get to come, we don't get to define what it is uh, to worship God. God has defined that for us. Furthermore, in our day-to-day lives and all aspects of our thinking, we must be Christian in all of our dealings. There are some things that are matters of wisdom, and even then we must have that wisdom directed by God's word. Two Christians may come up with different things based on their circumstances and such with a similar ideas, applying wisdom from God's word. But all things must be conducted in manners that glorify Christ. It's an expression of thankfulness to God. We do not get to pick and choose in what we commit to the in what ways we commit to the Lord. We are not free to say, well, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to just go with pragmatism over here. Pragmatism is, well, whatever works best is what I'm going to do. Well, what works best might actually be an evil way to get there. No, we must submit all of our ways to God, remembering that Christian ethics are not based upon the outcome. If it's right, it's right. If it's true, it's true. Outcomes do not determine the rightness of an action. God's word determines the rightness of an action. It's sometimes it's hard to understand that because we have come from about 100, 150 years of what we call consequentialist and utilitarian thinking. Consequentialism says that truth is found in the consequences. or situation, that ethics can change with situations. Or utilitarianism says, um, if it works, then it's true. It's only true and right if God's word says it's true and right. That also means allowing one another freedom in those matters, allowing other brothers and sisters in Christ freedom in those matters of which God has given us freedom. (laughs) 
and liberty of conscience. And he says, again, return to the idea of trust. Trust in him and he will act. He's restating this idea of trust. And even when committing our way to the Lord seems to make no sense, we must trust him. John Gill says, he does whatever he has appointed and determined shall be. And whatever he has promised and whatever will be for his own glory and his people's good. That if he's appointed it and determined that it will be, it's going to be. For his glory and our good. And so we have every reason to commit our ways to him. He will bring forth our righteousness to the light. David was in this particular instances that he'd been dealing with regards to Saul, blameless. He was not blameless in and of himself in terms of his standing before God, but in terms of the things of which he was accused, he was blameless. God will vindicate. But on the grand scale, we do not have a single leg to stand on before God in and of ourselves and do not stand blameless. And righteousness, our righteousness will indeed come forth, but it won't be the righteousness we generated as Christ's righteousness counted to us. That is our plea. That is our hope. And the one who seeks to do right in Christ, who does right, even when it brings hardship, has done that which is honorable to God. First Peter chapter 4 It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. We'll talk about meddling a little bit. And same idea with bringing our justice to light, as we've spoken of. And then we, in verse 7, we turn to this climactic exhortation to be still. Instead of fretting, be still. And he repeats the command to fret, uh, not to not fret, sorry. He says, be still, And again, do not fret over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries carries out evil devices. Trust in him. Psalm 46, verses 8 through 12. This is, a I know, a favorite verse of a number of people. Favorite passage. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. And that's in the context of how he's going to, he's going to render judgment. And so we can be still because he will do right by his name, by his righteousness, by his standards. He will do right. He will do right by Christ's righteousness on our behalf. And to remember promise. So brothers and sisters, 
and climax and climax of this series of exhortations. Not fret. Let us trust. Let us delight. Let us commit our way to the Lord. And from all that, be still. He also says in that, when he continues this idea of being still in verses 8 and 9, he gives another exhortation as he shifts gears in verse 10 to focusing on um, some of the wicked acts as well as uh, proverbial statements. And he says, refrain from anger and do not fret. Here we see him bringing it back to where with the closing words of verse 8, fret not, but he gives some additions. He says, fret not, and he says, why? He says to refrain from anger and forsake wrath. That is, think of this, in fretting about the actions of another, especially um, including if they might threaten us, but also simply because we're upset about those actions and those behaviors. One of the temptations that we might have is to turn anger and wrath on such a person or such a group of people. That is, don't do to them what they do to you or don't do to them before they do to you. Rather, as Jesus said, it's due to them what you would have them do to you. Anger leads, as it says, to all sorts of evil, just as does the love of money. When we walk around angry with our fists closed, maybe as a bunch of misanthropes. I was a, in my younger days, I was a bit of a misanthrope. That's a fancy word for someone who hates who hates humans. I was a bit of a misanthrope in which I was just disillusioned. Like many people in their 40s and 50s, we kind of grew up uh, pretty sure that we weren't going to live past 30 because we were going to be annihilated by nuclear war. But the Lord turned me from that. Cynical and angry. But that leads to evil. Why is that so? As it's stated in verse 2, why is that we should not be angry? It leads to evil. But we should also not be angry because of the fact that God is going to have his day. The evildoers shall be cut off. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The Mosaic Covenant, when we speak of the land, the Mosaic Covenant served its purpose and it is not now or never will be nor ever will be again in force. For Christ has come and has fulfilled the terms of the law. But under the covenant of grace that we have in Christ Jesus, we have the eternal city for which we wait, which all those throughout history who have looked to the Lord for which we wait, and we shall inherit that. We shall receive that. And it comes because of the faithfulness of God. And those evildoers shall be cut off. Let us also consider our Lord Christ for whom this psalm would be most relevant as he suffered at the hands of sinners, though being completely righteous. None of us actually has a leg to stand on when we look at the evil in the world and say, they're so evil. 
because it turns right back upon us. But our Lord Christ suffered at the hands of sinners. He who had no sin had by all conventional wisdom fallen and been defeated. Yet what was his cry from the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he was speaking that forgiveness to those for whom he died, those who trust in him who had been chosen from before the foundation of the world. He spoke that forgiveness against uh, to us in spite of our own sin because he absorbed God's wrath. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you are strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, my brothers and sisters. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. I'm done, finished reading 1 Peter, by the way, just so you know. (laughs) When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore his sins on his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We've been healed by those wounds. Return to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. So brothers and sisters, Christ did all of this for us. And we are also called to look to him and, and say, let's do so. We're not dying. We don't die in atonement for the sins of anyone. But he says, Christ laid this example for us. So let us not fret, but let us live in the hope of Christ. Yet at the same time, we must acknowledge the world is is what it is. And be real with our worry and our fret. Be real about it. Say, this bothers me. I don't like this. Help me, Lord. It's okay to not like it. We shouldn't like sin and evil. We must not like sin and evil. But rather, we must not fret about it either. Rather, we must trust the Lord. This world now as it always has, is full of things and wickedness and sin about which we could fret. We see many reasons to fret. But what we should do instead, there's many reasons given to us not to fret and and things that we're told to do instead. But here's a good test, brothers and sisters. Are, Are we finding ourselves frequently afraid of how things are going? Walking out around angry, but how they are going. My dear brother and sister, we are fretting. What control do we have? Maybe it's time to turn off the fear and outrage machine that only breeds fretting upon fretting and pride upon pride that lets us say, hey, I'm better than them. Maybe to turn off the meddling busybody talking heads on our and I'm going to name a bunch, so don't be offended, on our Fox Newses, our Newsmaxes, our CNNs, our MSNBCs, our OANs, or the rags published by international cults that feed that fear and that anger and that fretting. 
not to mention the self-appointed prophets and faux experts on YouTube, Rumble, Gab, Parler, Twitter, and whatever other bastions of, and cesspools of fear and outrage that are there. Or the discernment, quote-unquote, discernment blogs. Various ones out there that specialize in working people up. Capstone Report, Wartburg Watch, Pulpit and Pen, Blog and May Blog, often published by what I would call meddling busybodies who could use a dose of church discipline if they're even members of churches. They peddle hand-wringing, worry, fear, and outrage because that stuff sells. It sells. Let's not buy Let's stop buying that stuff because it feeds our pride and sense of self-righteousness. Sometimes we might say, if only all that stuff and them could be dealt with, the world would be wonderful. My life would finally be wonderful. Do we hear how we're blaming other people for our problems? We're deceiving ourselves because guess what? We'd still, be, we'd still be around. Do we find ourselves whining and complaining about things? Are we looking for or think that we have found some mastermind or group of masterminds? We are trying to scapegoat for all the world's problems or our own problems. Brothers and sisters, we're fedding and are getting detached from the greatest reality that exists in the universe. God in Christ for us. It's very easy to fret because we're wired that way. We want control and we're not in control of the situation. Human history can be in part summed up as a history of trying to be in control of history. One of the first things that we can do is to give that up. It's time to trust the Lord, to commit our ways to him, to look to Christ, to remember all that we have in him. It will end. Righteousness and justice shall prevail. So let us, brothers and sisters, go on believing, trusting, and living as God has called us. And when we do find ourselves worrying and anxious and fretting, this is real, we will find ourselves with this. Remember these words. Remember these words. So then, brothers and sisters, let us not fret. If I didn't say it earlier, a little while ago, I was supposed to say in closing. Let us pray. Father, praise be unto you for your goodness, your care, your faithfulness. We pray, our Father, that you would nourish us. Help us to trust you, to look to you. May you be bigger than all the things that are around us. Help us that we may take our worry and anxiousness about wickedness around us. Remember the mirror that is before us. And let us look to Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.